Hey everyone, welcome to episode number six of the Lift Free and Diet Hard podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Coates, and I've uh, been having a lot of fun with the rebranded podcast. Uh, if you're a long-time listener, you'll know there are 150 episodes all sitting there in the archive under the uh, Fittest Devil with my good friend, Dean Guido. So we've now finally on social media, he's come out and told the world why he had to retire from this. Uh, him and his wife are gonna have a baby. So there's the big news. People were messaging us going, hey, you know, are you guys fighting? Are you getting along? Is anything wrong? It's like, oh no, everything's good. We just had to kind of keep tight lip because he didn't want to reveal it too soon. But priorities shift and he's got to consolidate a lot of his work into some stuff that, you know, is most meaningful. And uh, so he wanted me to continue on with this and while well, we have a new rebrand. But, and so what I've been doing recently is bringing back some of my, you know, favorite guests some of my good friends from the industry, and uh, Gareth Sapstead is back with me today. So Gareth's the previous guest and, and a good buddy of mine from the industry. He's uh, better known as a fitness maverick on a lot of the social media. And uh, well, the accent will give away that uh, we actually had to coordinate times because he's from across the pond. So uh, <laughs> welcome brother, it's good to have you back. <laughs> Thanks, good to be here. Is it technically across the pond if you're in Canada? Yes. Is it still the pond? It is. Uh, that, okay, I guess just that's, the that's the euphemism that I understand is the English euphemism, right? We don't really say that, but yeah, yeah, you guys say that. We do, we do. <laughs> I mean, like, yeah, it's uh, what is it? It's, it's five p.m. here. Uh, what is it? Eleven, ten o'clock? Were you? Ten a.m. here, right? So you nice. I was willing to stay up at midnight and record with you if it was convenient. We've got a couple of guests. I know you are. <laughs> We had Eric Helms on, and Eric is uh, in New Zealand, so that was always fun. And then Andy Morgan was one of our earliest, earliest guests, and he was in he's in Japan. We had a conversation yeah. with long, thoughtful pauses with Andy Morgan. If anybody knows Andy, <laughs> my best accent I got for him. Um, but anyway, so if anybody is kind of brand new to this and didn't hear you on before, you you've been a really prolific content creator. You're a writer, an author, published author. Um, you've got a really big social media presence and you've been pumping out tons of great stuff. And so, and you and I both write for Teenage, which is how we originally kind of connected. And I thought about this. So off air, we we're just talking about our buddy, Matthew Ibrahim, who is just a guest as well. And Matthew and I had been swimming in the same circles, but we hadn't really like talked a whole lot up until recently. And we had a great chat and like, you know, we're the best of friends all of a sudden. And it's kind of funny how a lot of us start out knowing each other professionally or knowing of, and then you sort of connect maybe it's at a conference or a podcast and you notice that you just you have so much in common you become really really fast friends it, so i was wondering what your thoughts are about making friends in the industry and the value yeah, good, good question yeah matthew's an interesting one actually so to the the, the full story really goes with him now, now that matthew absolutely loved the guy you know i, I speak to him all the time and um, we, we actually just, just wrote an article together the back end of last week uh, that we, we kind of co-authored on. But we followed each other for a while. So the, me and Matthew is just a really good example of kind of industry friends, really, and, and how it kind of plays out, really, and how to do it right and how to do it wrong. Now, Matthew followed me for a while. I followed Matthew for a while. And I think it was just a case of I liked his content, he liked my content the odd comment, the odd kind of, um, you know, slide into each other's DMs, etc. obviously professionally. Um, 
And then I think one day he just kind of reached out. He just said, look, Gareth, love your stuff. Love what you wrote on T Nation. Would you be willing to, uh, willing to do a collab article with me? And because I consumed his content, I knew exactly what he was like. I knew what it was about. He had the credibility in my eyes. And as you know, to write for T Nation, like anyone can like reach out for you. Uh, so reach out to you and ask like, can they get their foot in the door? But to help someone get their foot in that door, you've got to really trust that person and know that what they're writing is massively credible and that, you know, they've got that credibility themselves. So the fact that we already had that, I suppose, that, uh, that mutual uh, respect to each other, I said, yeah, let's, you know, let's, let's give it a shot. Let's see what T Nation think of it and, and let's put something together. And um, as I said, back end of last week, we just finished another one. That will probably be our second one together for T Nation. And that helps him get his foot in the door as well. And just off the back end of that and various email communications and communications, you know, messaging each other, et cetera, he has kind of become a, become a good friend. Um, off the back end of that, actually, he, he managed to get me a free pair of trainers randomly. <laughs> Uh, so if you see is is, a, is kind of a, a behind the behind the closed doors thing. If you see a lot of people, a lot of trainers wearing Vibo barefoots at the moment, this is why. It's because there's something going on kind of in the background where Vivo have reached out and I've given a lot of trainers these these Vivos in exchange for some not it's not an influencer thing, but just so they're wearing their their, their footwear when they're doing these posts. And if you notice now, I think you're going to have a scroll through your Instagram feed after this. You're going to notice a heck of a lot of people now wearing Vivo barefoots, and I have in the last few weeks as well. So yeah, that that you know that mutual um, connection with each other. He's won out of it. I've won a pair of shoes out of it. It's it's a win-win, really. <laughs> it's funny. So he talked about we've got something in the works too. Now I'm notoriously slow moving on on teenage articles. I take my time with them. I edit them mercilessly. So yeah. Put that together at some point and then then you don't know when they're going to publish stuff or right? you send it off to them and all of a sudden in the morning i get a ping saying it's posted right and like, oh, i have no clue what their publishing schedule is but it's always fun so yeah so he's he's someone i feel the same way credible collaborating with and i've talked about this a few times about if anyone in the industry you know wants to advance their career and wants to contact or interact with someone who maybe is a bit more established or or whatever maybe someone they're, they're following or look up to don't go in asking what that person can do for you or asking for their time uh, you've got to do a lot to get yourself on their radar by creating your own stuff and having a, a library and a volume of things lee boyce just posted about this and it was a really good post i was just say the same thing yeah great post he pointed out like lee has, has built a career lee's a young guy but he's been around the industry for shit i mean i've been reading his stuff for just near a decade Prolific content creator, written for every magazine under the sun. And so if he's, he's kind of, he tried not to sound negative in it, but if you get someone who messages him, who's never heard of, never seen any of their content, and then they're asking him to share their work or somehow like use his time to dig into their stuff. Well, I don't think those asks are fair. And occasionally I'll get something like that too. And I'll politely explain how, you know, my, I guard my time very jealously but I'll make time for people who are engaged with me. My buddy Jeff Snow recently sent me a piece of writing he wanted to get back into it. So I kind of just edit and rewrote it and set it back. And he's like, oh man, this is exactly what I needed, right? You know, Jeff's a really good friend, another industry friend that I've met at a couple conferences. And 
And, you know, I've had him on as a podcast okay. guest. It goes back to our original thing about, uh, you know, growing those relationships. But if you really want to get out and connect with and build relationships with people in the industry, you've got to go in with finding a way to give to them instead of asking mm. of their time and energy, right? And, and I'm big on this. Me and Sohi Lee talked about this in the first uh, episode of Rebrand. You know, with someone like Sohi, Sohi, you know, doesn't take a lot of time to do a lot of podcasts anymore, but she's, I've always made a big deal about making sure this is a great experience for her. So when I turned around and asked her, Hey, can you be my first on the relaunch? She was thrilled to do it. And, and it's always really great to talk to her, but I've shared, you know, so he stuff mercilessly over the years. Some of my clients and other followers have bought her book and, and so on and so forth. So you, you got to give a lot before you earn the right to ask something of someone. Mm. And, and I like the way Matthew goes about it too, because, you know, these, these ideas of collaborating on, on published articles, well, that gives me a push too. And it just means that, you know, we're featured more and more and more. And I suppose I always like to point this out too. You know, you get the people like, you know, again, so he's a good example. She's been around a long time, or even the lead voice, been around a long time. They built a lot of career capital, a lot of content capital over the years. And then I sort of see this generation, this group that's kind of coming up more now. And I see you, me, a lot of the new T Nation guys, you know, yeah. Dan North, um, there's a whole bunch of other ones. And I also see uh, Matthew Ibrahim sort of in that as well, because he's actually done a lot. He's, he's done a lot, but he's kind of more recently just really bursting into, into that scene. And you're seeing him interact with everybody in the industry. And it's important not just to try to curry the favor of and interact with your Eric Cressy's or your John Berardi's. Yeah. But it's probably more helpful to find out what you can do to support the people who are exactly where you are or somewhere similar. Yeah. Uh, and don't lose sight of the people who, you know, are working hard up and coming, the people who are sharing your stuff. I've got a lot of people who, you know, they're not quite in terms of like the, the amount of content, like, not published on Tunisian, whatever, that sort of stuff that, you know, guys like you and me are, but they're doing a lot of cool stuff and God only knows where they're going to grow in the future. So I keep an eye to those people. I'm really, really appreciative of everything they do because you never know where the hell they're going to be in, in two, three, five years. 100%. Yeah. I, I think with any relationship, whether it's a professional relationship or I don't know, a, a, a cult relationship or a personal relationship, there has to be kind of that, that mutual thing. It has to be a, I think every time you're trying to create a relationship, it's always about what's in it for me. You know, be, you know humans are selfish. Um, you know, there's always that thing of, you know, what do I get out of this relationship? What's in it for me? I think it's abbreviated with them. Um, so, you know, when someone like Matthew's reaching out to me and wants to kind of get on that platform, then I'm, then I, you know, obviously I've consumed his content prior, but I'm thinking, okay, what, what's in it for me? Okay. And actually at that period of time, what was in it for me was, actually he as you said he's doing me a really big favor here because he's writing half of an article for me right. <laughs> which is a which is a massive one so he's saving me time and it's the same with anything if, if you can interact with another professional that's not you know take 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 and they're actually giving they're helping you as well at the same time you know they're saving you time and they're giving some stuff back rather than those people that there are a lot of them do just leech off your time and, you know, those people don't tend to kind of hang around for long. They come, they take what they want, and then, you know, they're off then to the, to the next person they can kind of leech off of. So I think it's really important to kind of create those relationships, those strong relationships, but make sure that you're always kind of giving back as well, whether it's in the professional format or, or, or kind of otherwise, really. But, yeah, com completely agree. I suppose this is worth mentioning, too, a couple of examples. 
you know, so getting on T-Nation, you know, we're both on there. Um, and I'll get a fair number of questions from people, either, you know, how to get started in writing or especially like, you know, how do you go about getting published on something like T-Nation? So usually the right way to ask it, the people that do okay with it, they don't ask to be linked up to them. They ask just where to start with writing. So my first piece of advice yeah. is make sure you have a website to write for. Start writing your own articles for your own website. It has to start there. You have to practice, you have to develop that volume of work and get really, really good at it. Most of the people that have big social media followings that are considered credible and reputable in our industry, Jordan Syed and I talk about this shit all of the time. He's a great example. Have been writing for a very long time and built all that all. And then as social media kind of grew and exploded, then they built that social media following. Whereas a lot of people kind of reverse it and think that they're successful and highly regarded because they got famous on social media. No, it's the other way around. So with my buddy, Daniel DeBrock, DeBrocky did this. He asked me about, hey, you know, how do I get started writing? I gave him a couple of books to read. I told him to get a website going and a few other just helpful piece of advice. He took that and ran with it. So then he started submitting to Tisha. I think they took his fourth article finally. Uh, and then they just continued to publish him. And then he got on with Kabuki Strength with Chris Duffin. And there's at least a couple other websites I know he's published on. And he's a very well-researched, very prolific writer. And it just kind of blew up his, uh, his name in the industry. People all of a sudden are, are hearing about this guy. He's writing good things. Whereas another friend of mine messaged me again about how to get on T-Nation. So I turned around and said, you know, hey, do you have your own website? And, you know, do you write for it? And that individual just wasn't interested. Very clearly said that they weren't interested in creating the website and writing their own articles. They wanted to skip that stuff. And immediately it's like, well, this isn't going to happen, right? They're not just going to say, oh, well, let's take this random person without having actually seen anything that they've written and publish them, right? You don't, you don't get to do that. So you got to put your nose down and put in the work. And you know, maybe if you get out there and create those relationships with the editors, like I uh, interacted with Danny Sugar, one of the editors, and Danny's wonderful. And so eventually she asked me to come on to T Nation and everybody who's on there has got some sort of story like that, or they just brute force submitted stuff until they got published. 100%. It, it's, it's no different to being in the gym, I suppose. You've got to spend time under that bar before you go for those big lifts. You know, that's, I was writing for smaller websites, um, you know, some here in the UK, Muscle Talk, uh, things like that, that, yeah, you know, I think I was about 16 years old when I was submitting articles and these articles were getting published and these articles are still on the web <laughs> and I can, you know, you can, you can search them out now, find them out and I can read them and be like, what the heck was I thinking? And it, it's not the quality of the information that I'm actually critical about. The, the information was there, it was more critical about my writing style. I was writing as though it was some essay for, for college or something. And over the years, as, as, as I've written for, for various people and, and, you know, written books and things, I've actually, my writing style has turned more into writing to the person, talking to the person, rather than actually writing, you know, writing kind of in, a, in an essay format. And I so said, that, that's just, you know, time, uh, you know, time under the bar, really, time writing, time spending, you know, mucking about with things, playing about with things. And just finding what connects with the reader at the end of the day, you know, whether you write on articles or books or you're writing on, um, 
I don't know, on LinkedIn or Instagram or Facebook, writing is your form of communication, arguably more so than talking nowadays. More people consume the writing. You know, the, the picture, that's what grabs your attention. And it's the writing underneath that actually connects with the person. So no matter what, you know, you think writing's dying, actually writing is what's connecting with people. And if you're not a good writer to, you know, to any degree, then you're probably not, not going to succeed in the industry that far. Um, especially in that, in that online space where obviously you're not having that one-to-one interaction with people. But yeah, as, as you said, I was the person that submitted to T-Nation a bunch of times after having you know, a great track, track record. I was at that point already published in, um, I don't know, breakingmuscle.com, Muscle and Strength, Muscle and Fitness quoted me, I think, by that point. And I still couldn't get an article in T Nation and I just kept submitting, submitting, submitting until they accepted one and then it was, you know, all, all good. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was one of the, one of those people really. And you know, to, today I probably I try and get one a week out. Um but you know I'm trying to keep the quality high there as much as I can. Um true story today I actually I always have a look on because you know what it's like sometimes when the editors have grabbed, a, grabbed an article if you type in your name on t nation you can actually find where it's going to be published like sometimes a week or two in advance and i sometimes do that just so i know when that content's going out so i can plan around it now i read reread through an article that's meant to be out on the 30th so in three days time and i found an error within that article so basically what had happened is that I submitted that article and I'll be honest, I rushed a little bit thinking, okay, I need to get one out this week. Let's write something a little bit quirky. Let's write it on this. And it sounds very, very small, but I basically used uh, the term brachialis instead of brachialis when talking about a, a, a muscle. Okay. But to me, that was really significant and that was a massive oversight on my part. So I actually ended up emailing Kushibart back and saying, look, I know this is coming out in three days, but this is really bugging me. I'm really sorry, but I don't want to be putting out bad information. <laughs> Can you please change Brachialis to Brachialis in this article? And he was like, yeah, no problem. So even to, the, even, you know, even to this day, you just got to fact check those articles, go through it. It was all about the editing. Yeah, you, you can't rush through them. And as you said, you know, you really take your, your time with them. Um, but the fact it's on that platform as well, I don't want to be one of those people that are putting out bad information. Um, as, as small as that one thing is, actually, there will be people that pick that up. And T-Nation readers are, are very, very intelligent readers. So <laughs> I didn't want to get a bunch of uh, DMs about that, that little mistake right there. I admire the ability to get one out a week because, you know, obviously you get the weekly dose email on Sundays and mm-hmm. I probably average closer to about one every three to four weeks. So just with a full-time training schedule and all the other stuff I'm involved in, that's probably more realistic. And then, <clears throat> I don't know, I just like, I have to come up with what I think is a really good idea. It's got to be innovative, but usefully innovative, not creative, just for the sake of creativity. Mm-hmm. And then I always want to feel really good about whatever I'm giving them. And I don't look back at any of them and go, oh, what the fuck was I thinking? I, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but I do admire, you know, guys like, you know, you're on there. Jesus, it seems like two times a week. It, it seems like it, right? 
or the yeah. other guys again i mentioned dan north he's newer to it and it's like dude three or four articles a week and it, it's i know he's pumped some out recently yeah yeah <laughs> <I love laughs> <No downtime. laughs> so I, I find that just to be wild and like i just don't have the the time bandwidth to be able to do that right so yeah. to hell with that idea um yeah. <laughs> i love the whole the insight behind the creative process for for everybody i talk to and where do you usually get your ideas to create these articles where do they come from because you also put so much stuff up on social media you and matthew mm -hmm. always new training ideas always innovative training ideas and you and i talked beforehand about wanting to talk about some training philosophy stuff so i'll start with where the creative ideas come from Usually it's something that I've used with a client or it's something that I've used myself. And, and what you, you know, we, we spoke about this last time. Usually what you're seeing is like a modification on an exercise or just something a little bit different. You know, I like, I like to kind of pride myself on being a bit more of a, a problem solver to kind of find a solution to something that, that's bugging you, you know, something that, you know, using an exercise that can put you in a slightly better position or change your position so it's going to avoid, I don't know, a, a cranky shoulder or something like that. You know, so I, I like to speak around how to kind of overcome those obstacles and, and, and kind of some exercises that might fit that. I'm very much one that believes a trainer should have a massive toolbox, but it doesn't necessarily mean you need to be using that entire toolbox. It doesn't need, you know, it, you don't need to have a client in front of you and throw every single tool at them to find the job. But the bigger your toolbox, you know, the, the arises you've always got that solution to it so you know rather than being the trainer that's um i don't know bench squat and deadlift everyone and very very biased according to your own style or trying to make the exercise fit the client as opposed to the client fit the exercise or so the other way around you know it's about as i said trying to find that exercise that fits them and is going to make them feel good in that position and get the most from it now that obviously depends on whether you want that exercise for physique purposes or, you know, or to build strength or performance or to, as, a, as, a, as a rehab kind of exercise. So I think as well, when we talk about exercise selection and what you see on social media, I think context is very key. I think you have to know the audience that you're talking to. So someone like, you know, we keep bringing up Matthew, but someone like Matthew knows who he's talking to. He's always talking to the person with the cranky knee. I think that's his big one. It's always knee. <laughs> it's always force absorption, shock absorption. Sorry, guys, getting a slow connection here. Gareth, I'll wait for you to come back. Hopefully I don't lose you. Almost yeah. lost, I almost lost you there for a second, so uh, I'll pick you back up. Go ahead. That's all right. If you're someone that's purely interested in physique enhancement, you're going to look at his stuff and think, yeah, excuse the language, it's a bunch of crap. You might be that person that's commenting, why are you using this? What's all this stuff for? And that's the same with mine. Someone might look, um, someone might be a powerlifter and only ever interested in bench squat deadlift etc i might look at my stuff and be like what the heck is that for why do i need to be doing that it's a bunch of crap he doesn't know what he's talking about etc etc so context context is very much key when you're looking at those those exercises that you see with me post yourself post etc because we know who we're talking to 
and we're giving those exercises we're giving those solutions to those people and you know that that comes back to the point of, of you know knowing who i suppose your, your target market is and knowing who, who your audience is really doesn't it absolutely um I want to jump somewhere because I want to come back to training philosophy, but what you said kind of speaks to something we were also talking about. And that's you recently did a photo shoot. I mean, you're a shredded guy on a good day, but this is on another level. And so your image and physique and I mean, anyone listening, just go, if you haven't ever seen Gareth before, go look at him. He's actually a really pretty, pretty boy. This is a good looking dude. (laughs) (laughs) No, for real. And but you know, you're shredded, you look fantastic, you built an incredible physique, and you're sharing high quality training information, but yet you've walked a line with also letting the world see the physique you built. I actually recently changed my profile photo away from that like shredded Jack bodybuilder looking photo, striated delts, into something that was a little bit more quote, accessible. And I got a lot of very positive feedback about that. So we kind of almost like witnessed slightly different things with that, but both work. So I wanted to get your thoughts on kind of what you're doing behind the photo shoot. I see your brother. He's funny. He actually pinged me and messaged me while we're talking here. And he's also got like shredded everything on social media. I like him. I like his stuff. Good. Yeah, yeah. He's a he's a bit controversial. He's, he says what he thinks. <laughs> uh, he he just, just off tangent quickly, really. Here, he uh, he's writing a ebook at the moment as a bit of a you know he he's not someone that kind of does that stuff. He's a very much hates to use the term, but in the trenches trainer. You know, he spends most of his time, 40, 50 hours each week, training clients one to one. So he doesn't have a lot of time for content creation. Yeah, he's exactly like you. But the content he does create is very much in your face. It's very much either you love me or you hate me. And he's writing something the other day and, and he always puts it past me and says, you know, what, what, what do you think of this? And I'm constantly telling him, look, know your market, know who you're writing for. I said, write so that 70% of people reading it will absolutely love you and 30% of people will absolutely hate you. I said, because the 70% will love it and share it. And, you know, whatever, tell their friends and all that stuff. And the 30% will still share it because they hate it. So just write, so 70% will love it, 30% will hate it. And I said to him, look, that 30%, I already know who that 30% is because women and vegans hate you. <laughs> so write just to piss off the women's and the vegans and just, you know, and write so that 70% of those are men's. And he, you know, he's like, absolutely, actually, yeah, they do hate me. Okay, great. So he's completely changed his content around just, just having that mindset because you can't be, you know, you can't be appealing to absolutely everyone. And, you know, he, he does have a harder look physique than what I do. He competes in classic bodybuilding. He likes those poses, etc. which for me is massively outside of my comfort zone and i find personally cheesy <laughs> but again that he knows his space i know my space but yeah back to what you're saying it's it's a very very fine line really to cross now we both i think you and i we both come from kind of similar background reading the same stuff growing up and probably respecting the same coaches you know, when we were kind of growing up and coming up through the industry. And we've seen those coaches, you know, for example, your, your Eric, Eric Cresses, your Christian Tebelos, et cetera. 
and you'd be hard pressed to find images of them topless anywhere. Well, I think there are Christian. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but but Christian, if you look, he uses the same two images everywhere. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, but but yeah, Christian. What you going to say? Strength and conditioning. It's funny, but Tanisha sort of brought him in. He, he talked about this on air with me before about how like Tanisha saw him as like the the next Paul Quinn, right? The bodybuilding guy, right? Okay, yeah, yeah. The guy. Jackson. <laughs> He looks like, you know, the very most Jack Vin Diesel in a movie ever. And then take that yeah. to like another like five degrees and leaner and more shredded. And then, then you've got Christian. Uh, he told me <laughs> before how some movie was being filmed in Quebec where, where he was and they actually asked him to stunt double for Vin. They actually looked that much alike. He wasn't wow. out of time, so he didn't do it. That would have been really cool. But yeah, like, totally a point with guys like Eric. I think another kind of cool point too is, you know, Cressy, known as a prolific content creator, he's also, you know, renowned as, as, as certainly in his heyday, a, a very skilled powerlifter. So a lot of, you know, fitness professionals who are very successful in the content creation side have pivoted along the way. And sometimes it's more aesthetic or sometimes it's more strength and performance. And really aesthetic and strength performance, as different as they are, they still are similar in that sense. And it gives credibility to them. And then sometimes they've pivoted and maybe the, they're, they're not shirtless the way that they used to be in the content creation. So people do evolve and pivot in how they present themselves over time. And in these cases, a lot of times it's very good for a career to early on have some sort of aesthetic or performance element to your career to build some credibility, especially if that's the audience you're talking to. Absolutely. You know, as, as I was saying, we, we kind of came up through that similar thing of, of reading and respecting those similar coaches, those high-level coaches that weren't, I suppose, your, you know, back in the day, your equivalent of Instagram uh, influencers. I don't know, whatever that was. Maybe your, I don't know, your, I don't even know what that would be. <laughs> Facebook, probably even still then a bit soon. Guys, um, guys yeah. magazine, right? Yeah, exactly. Guys in Muscle Fitness, they weren't those guys. They were the guys that actually, those guys were learning off of, those guys were being taught off of, et cetera, et cetera. I don't know about you. I see, I can create an exercise or whatever. I can uh, write about an exercise and see it on, see on T Nation. And then two weeks down the line, someone that has a million followers is doing the exercise. And it's like, oh, that's cool because they've seen it off of that. <laughs> <laughs> they, they'll never tag you in and say it was from you <laughs> but they've obviously got it from that that piece of information but anyway so we've come obviously kind of through that route and, and through that route I've always been of that mindset of you know look to be respected you do not want to show topless pictures of yourself because as soon as you do you lose that credibility so I've always throughout years kind of had that mindset of no I'm a professional you will never see topless pictures of me etc etc that that alongside, you know, I, I don't talk about it much, but I do have slight body dysmorphia as well. Um, you know, that's just me. me. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you, you'd be hard pressed to, to find me sometimes even in, in, in a vest, you know. Um, so, and I think that probably comes up through from the age of 15, 14, picking up men's health magazines and, and seeing pictures of these guys and being like, okay, why don't I look like this guy? And that was kind of my, you know, what, what, I, what I thought everyone should look like. Or, I don't know, playing with an 
action man and thinking everyone needs to have 18 inch action man guns. But that's obviously not the reality. So I kind of came up through that thing of no, look, it's professional keep, to keep your top on. It's, you know, it's unprofessional to take, to take it off, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and obviously not been, not been happy with my physique ever. Now, at the same time, you've obviously got these people that are more influencer types and they're sharing pictures of their physique, they're doing exercises with their top off, et cetera, not necessarily providing valuable information, but they're getting big followers, they're getting big kind of, uh, big amounts of trust because people are looking at, them, looking at them and thinking, okay, I can do this exercise and, and, and look like this, or I can do their training program and buy the training program and I'm instantly gonna look like this person. So for me, A, doing a photo shoot was partly about me just kind of building up some self-confidence it was mostly if i'm being honest about me just doing something for myself and when i booked to do it i, I think i had 12 weeks or something where, where i booked to do it and just said look over 12 weeks i'm gonna stick to this route we'll get shredded etc etc i said to myself look no matter what if these pictures come out i'm not going to share them on social media i'll keep them to myself <laughs> and, that, and that was it and then when they came out, I was like, actually, to be fair, that look, yeah, they look pretty decent. But then what actually happened, as soon as I started to share some, and by the way, I made a point of every time I shared it, it would have some value to it. So if you see a picture of me, for example, on Instagram, or I've used them, uh, T Nation actually have used some as article headers, there's valuable information below that. It's not just look at me, you know, read this article and you can look like this. It's you can get some valuable information from this and that picture possibly just adds some credibility to it. Now, the problem is I've kind of, I've kind of caught that bug. So I've already booked another physique photo shoot, <laughs> which is in seven weeks time. <laughs> so come eight, nine, ten weeks time, you might see even more topless pictures of me but obviously with valuable content behind them. <laughs> so it's one of those things, I think you've got to be really careful about how you do it. And you can't, for me, I don't want to ever cross that line of, here's a topless picture of me, um, comment below how good I look or whatever, with these really short captions. I want to get, because you, you see them all the time, don't you? I want to get massive value, um, you know, every time I'm sharing something. Um, this, so, yeah. This goes to something that I've, I, I truly believe. Um, I, I really don't waste time complaining about the influencer types, the people with big followings who are, you know, oftentimes not getting great information out on social media. And a lot of trainers like to malign this sort of stuff. And I find that when you're spending your time complaining about that, you're not focused on yourself and what you can do, you know, sort of a, an attitude of entitlement. So instead, focus on working really, really hard to create, share, get your own stuff out there, uh, learn how to build audience and brand. You've done that exceptionally well. But also understand why those type of people are doing well in that realm. If you want to get your following, which I, I don't think is, is not a noble thing. I mean, I'm trying to grow mine, absolutely. And a lot of the people we respect have grown larger following. Mm. But instead of complaining about these people, learn from what they're doing well. Maybe don't copy the you know, and I'm basically paraphrasing what you just said. We don't have to copy the, the sleazier stuff or the stuff that we don't think is ethical. But yeah. don't throw it all out because like, oh, I don't want to in any way, shape or form 
seem like I'm that type of person. And I think you've done a very good job of capturing aspects of what retains the integrity, but also understanding elements of it that serves your ultimate goals. If you get more eyeballs in front of you, and if some of those new eyeballs see your physique first, and that physique gives you credibility in their eyes, and then that opens them up to sharing your training ideas, and then they start absorbing that. I'm not so concerned with what brought them in first. I, I care more about the fact that those people who might otherwise be following bad information are starting to get their hands on really good stuff. And maybe it's someone who cares about aesthetics and the type of person you mentioned who might at first sort of discard Matthew Ibrahim's approach. But maybe they get in through you, decide, well, this guy's, this guy's ripped. He must know what he's talking about. And then they get into your stuff and maybe that thing helps them with that bum shoulder or bum knee that they've been, that's been bugging them. And so they've got a guy who's got the aesthetics, but all of a sudden now there's an influence on them that helps them deal with these chronic nagging injuries that they've been watching the quote influencer types just train a certain classical way. And they're grinding through this thing that never gets resolved. So ultimately it's about helping more people. And if you're someone, and I really don't believe there's anybody who's listening to this podcast who doesn't approach this with a lot of integrity and want to help people and do a good job and, and, and aren't interested in, in sleazy shortcuts that lack integrity, then and I'm not worried about you guys going and doing that stupid shit. I really would like you guys to take a look at what works for some of the people that maybe we don't think so kindly of and borrow some of the useful things while discarding the shit. Absolutely. I think people want something to aspire to as well at the end of the day. I think if, you know, if you, I actually, just before this podcast, just got off the phone conversation with a, a new online client. And um, first conversation I had over the phone with them, it was basically a consultation, uh, which turned into them signing up to, to work with me online. And one of the first things they said was, I want to look like you. And, you know, so, so obviously it's that someone that's consumed, I suppose, the way, the way I look, but they also consumed my content because the second thing they said was, and I like what you say, it connects with me, I think you're the right person to work with me, and so on. But by, just by listening to that, obviously the initial hook was, yeah, I want to look like this person, what have they got to say? Oh, yeah, what they're saying connects with me, okay? So, you know, obviously it's exactly what you said in that, same with me i don't really care what that initial thing is that kind of get gets them in and gets gets them consuming your content i don't care if i start posting pictures of someone else doing exercises as long as they're kind of i think there's there's kind of a line with that you know i think there's some people that might find i don't know might find the nearest decent looking woman and start posting pictures of their ass on their social media profile and then putting some quote unquote valuable content below that, that's probably not going to work. But as you said, whatever kind of gets them through the door, as long as what's the other side of that door is valuable content that they can use and will help them to an extent, I don't mind what gets them through that door. That is exactly what you said. I think what, what you see with the influencer type and again, exactly as you said, it clearly works. There is something about that that works. And, you know, you would be doing yourself a disservice if you did not learn something off of that approach, whether you agree or disagree. I think someone that does it really well in our industry is probably someone like Don Saladino. I think he does it really well. 
so he's someone he's a he's a coach trainer that that i do actually respect he was i think he was a former um men's fitness or men's health editor i think um he was a fitness editor um i think it's ebenezer samuel i think took over from him um and menshealth.com but don saladino is someone that does have a big social media following he's actually someone who's a very very credible coach i think he's he's someone that was responsible for a lot of the kind of the movie star transformations etc and he and he, he does kind of um, you know talk 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 really but he does also walk that walk in that he you know posts pictures of himself sometimes without a top on doing a i don't know doing a farmer's carry or something and he's in decent shape he's not in the shape where you look at him and think okay i'm never going to get in that shape it's going to take me taking every supplement under the sun or yeah, every special sauce under the sun to get into that shape he's in an attainable shape and you know and that's kind of what, what he's sharing really but as i said he's someone that does it really well and is on that line of providing good information and also he's someone that you know he's he's, he's putting his physique out there for people to judge or to, to kind of hook into him as well at the same time you of course touched on something that our industry loves to argue about every once in a while someone pops up with a post about you know, should, um, you know, trainers be ripped or some version, you know, to what degree do trainers actually need to, to look fit? And you get some well-intentioned, but naive people who on one end of the spectrum are like, absolutely, it doesn't matter. All that matters is what the person knows. And that's flawed. And then you get the other side of the, the mindset. It's like, you know, trainer has to be ripped. And usually that comes from people who come from, aesthetic competitive camps and yeah and that's also naive and misguided the truth is always in the middle um i like to put it this way if a trainer is struggling to be busy and that trainer is not in what i would call visible shape and we'll use that in people be like oh what does being in shape mean or fit well if you're a power lifter it means being fucking strong if it if you're a physique coach it means being lean and you know varying degrees of walking around looking, you know, fit relative to the type of clientele you're working with. If you're not a strong example of that and you're struggling with your business, I think one of the best places to put that time and effort is to work on being as visibly in shape, strong fit as possible. I really don't like the idea of ever shaming a fitness professional who's struggling. You do not know their story or where they're coming from. That's always true. But you also have to understand that Human nature is to be judgmental. And if you look at two trainers with equivalent qualifications and experience, and one looks the way that you sort of aspire to, and the other one visibly doesn't, then most people are going to decide towards the person that looks a certain way. And and that's just a fact of human nature and, and the way our minds work. So we can yell and scream about how wrong that is all we want, but it probably is a better use of time instead of, again, complaining to put the effort into it. And there is something to be said too for having the credibility to be able to tell a client, hey, you know, you need to make some lifestyle changes. You know, you need to prioritize sleep. You need to plan your nutrition a little bit better. You need to make sure you're consistent with your workouts. And the coach that clearly isn't doing those things themselves because they have a busy life or whatever. Well, what is the problem that a lot of our clients have, you know, kids and work and schedule and stuff and making the time for these things. So we sort of damage our own credibility if we're not also doing the same things that we're asking our clients. But I always try to be very kind with approaching that. And, you know, when someone posts it on social media, it usually just turns into a shit fest of, of arguing about it. <laughs> so. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, I think all trainers are, are tend to be biased towards, towards what they know. Really, you know, you. I think in I can't remember which book it was. Uh, one of the books that Dan John wrote, um, one of the many books I think he wrote. Um, he talks about trainers having or coaches being able to walk the walk, and it's exactly as you said. You know, if if you've got a client coming to you that wants to get strong, well, then you need to be able to show that, that you are strong yourself. You know, if, if you've got someone that's looking for someone that um, wants to get them in shape, well, yeah, you need to, to, to a degree, be in shape yourself or at least have walked that to an extent yourself. How far you, you, you take that journey yourself is completely up to you. I had a question on social media a couple of days ago that well, well, basically the question was, how long did it take you to get in that shape? Okay, well, <laughs> it, that depends where you start things. Well, I've been lifting and working out for 16 years in the gym, seriously. But actually, that took me 12 weeks. So how long did it take me to get in shape? All it showed was that me, me being in that shape, and I'm only, I'm only about six pounds off that at the moment. I only rebounded by about six pounds. So I'm not, I'm not in bad shape at the moment. So I've managed to maintain not far off there <laughs> ish, but for me to get in that shape for two, <laughs> over 12 weeks, all it showed was that I had a very specific goal in mind. I had an end point. It was a photo shoot and I had, I was training in, you know, in lockdown conditions in my garage. And to be honest, most of it was diet. It was just about getting lean, getting shredded, and just following a process. That's it, towards a very, very specific end goal, because that's the end goal that I wanted. And I think it was you actually that quite rightly pointed out, I think when I first posted one of something on Facebook, you said, Gareth, you're in great shape, but I think I could probably overhead press you. <laughs> and you could. <laughs> At that point, 100%, I, I think I was, I don't know, uh, do you work in pounds or kilos in Canada? Are you right? Canada, we technically have metric system, and anything Olympic lifting, powerlifting, the competitors will think in terms of kilos. But we're so heavily influenced by the U.S. that this is sort of a weird thing. We think we we totally do distance in kilometers, kilometers per hour, distances, all that. Yeah. Whereas Americans of miles, we'll still like I'm six foot two and two hundred sixty pounds, and when someone tries to you know to tell them how tall they are in in centimeters, I'm like fuck off, seriously. Like, <laughs> Talk about it, yeah, yeah. And I don't like well, how I, I would, all the like, <laughs> what you made kilos. Fuck off with that shit. I was 188 pounds on photoshoot day. Okay, so I, that's the lightest I've ever been, and that was me. I, I dehydrated a little bit the day before, not on purpose, and then that day kind of just just carved up basically in in, in the morning. So I was about 188 pounds. That's the lightest I've ever been. And bear in mind, I've been up to uh, about 225. I've been about 225 pounds, and I've had a, an almost two times body weight bench press. At that point, I was, as I said, 188 pounds, and I'd be lucky if I could bench press my own body weight at that point. <laughs> so my goal at that period of time was not to be strong. Obviously, look, you can work hard to try and maintain that strength. But no matter what, you're in a calorie deficit, that strength is always going to go. And I think that's where people get it wrong when they're trying to 
aim towards looking great or looking great in the mirror, looking great naked, is that they get to the point where they're actually like, okay, no, I'm feeling really weak at this point. My energy is down. I'm not as strong as I used to be. I'm going to stop, you know? And then suddenly the calories come back in and they've kind of never reached their end goal. Because my end goal was very, very specific, I was very zoned in on that end goal. I've got a photo shoot in 12 weeks. I'm going to get ripped. To an extent, I don't care about my strength. I'm going to try and strive to maintain my strength. But as I said, I was in lockdown conditions. That was never going to happen anyway. I got that because it was a very, very, very narrowed focus. So all it showed me as a trainer was that I could follow that process. It didn't show that I was a good trainer or I would be necessarily good at putting someone else through that process. It just showed that I was good at sticking with that process and seeing it to the end. Because the reality was, it was actually very, very easy for me to do. It was, okay, I'm going to track my calories every single day. I'm going to work out. I'm going to do a few extra cardio sessions a week. And I did it because I'm just very good at almost doing what I'm told. And whatever I logged into my fitness pal, I did. <laughs> but you know, that's not always how it works with a client because they do not always do what they're told. And that takes a good trainer. As I said, all it showed was that I was good at following a very, very specific system of doing things. You know, I had a good mental focus and seeing it through to the end. Me having abs at the end had no relation to how good I am as a trainer. I posted about this recently. It's the whole thing about, you know, your job as a coach starts when someone, you know, hits struggles in everyday life starts interfering. You know, your job as a, as a trainer or sorry, a coach doesn't end with handing them, here's your piece of paper of the program. Here's the piece of paper diet. And then they post on social media saying, well, if the client doesn't stick to it, it doesn't adhere to it, it's your fault. And I see those posts and not a lot makes me mad anymore. If I see that bullshit, I get mad. And that's a lazy, lazy excuse of a fitness professional. And that's not a coach. And I, and I take a very dim view on that kind of attitude. I under, and of course, even well-intentioned traders will sometimes come back and say, well, you know, the clients is that, yes, we know, absolutely, clients have to take a lot of accountability and ownership for their own results. But fundamentally, I like to start from a place of taking complete ownership as a coach. So that way you will communicate and find a way to, if you have a client or a situation where you don't get the outcome you're looking for, or you get a bad outcome, the client isn't successful. But I look at it and go, okay, well, where did, where did this break down and where did I fail to communicate? And how can I do a better job next time? And in future with this particular client, if there's an opportunity, so that way, I don't just let it happen again by saying, well, you know, dust my hands off. That's not my fault. That was a client did that because that changes nothing. Because when it happens again, the client who's, you know, kid has got the flu for a couple of weeks and they fall off track with their diet and, or, and you know, all the crap that happens in life, we have to work with them, coach, communicate, support to help them work through it because things will get better. And this is actually how you retain long-term relationships and clients and help them successful for long-term especially working with people who have these crazy and unrealistic short-term expectations, like someone who wants to look like you in your photo shoot, but that thinks that that's their end goal and where they're going to stay for a really long time. And we've all, every trainer here, you're, you're listening. I, want you, I, I like doing this now. Shoot me a message. If you have had a client who wanted to get like Photoshop lean and live in that and keep that. And there was this unrealistic expectation that was somehow attainable. And then you have to, of course, 
help work on getting them leaner and leaner, work with them at the same time, having the trust to be able to say to them, you know what, this isn't, this is going to be very, very difficult to attain. And it is absolutely not going to be sustainable. But you can't tell that person on day one, those things, mm. or at least you have to be very, very careful in how you communicate it. Cause they're going to say, well, okay, well, I'm not going to work with you. I'm going to go find a coach who will tell me that I can get there. And that coach is going to lie to them and take their money and bullshit them and probably hand them a piece of paper and a program and then not respond to their questions and expect them to do everything according to the plan. So we also, I wanted to veer back to the conversation. We were also kind of planned for this one about, you know, your training ideas, you know, the innovation and a lot of the programming, how you, your philosophy behind programming variety, yet applying consistency uh, with your clients uh, and your philosophy about exercise selection and training. Yeah, good question. So I think we spoke about this last time I was on the podcast that I'm actually a very much meat and potatoes kind of person when it comes to exercise selection. So when I have a client come through the door, one of the first things I'm looking at is what's their hip hinge like? What's their squat pattern like? What's their horizontal push, the horizontal pull, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, and, and then I'm looking at, okay, now what's the best way I can load those patterns? So, you know, as I said, my, my exercise selection to start off with is very very meat and potatoes so i want everyone you know hip hinging they will be doing some kind of deadlift knee bend they will be doing some kind of squat it's just about finding what's going to fit them at that period of time now as soon as someone says um okay let's say i want to load that squat pattern you know because i think everyone needs to be able to hip hinge squat pull push etc etc i want to be able to load that squat pattern if someone's got some cranky knees then automatically my options you know massively come down in number so i might be suddenly thinking okay i want to load that squat pattern i want to load that knee bend but you know i i'm obviously not going to be able to get away with something like a barbell back squat or something i'm going to need to maybe make a a more hip dominant knee squat or i'm going to need to do something like a um, i don't know a spanish squat where i've got a band around my knees you know keeping my my tibia vertical getting some kind of anterior draw on that knee and it's going to make it a little bit more knee friendly so as i said it's always about kind of finding the best solutions and finding those exercises that fit that person when it comes about comes to creativity or creating an exercise it's usually when those exercises don't work <laughs> so i'm trying to find something else or it's like okay maybe i'll try this but i'll put a wedge under your hill or maybe i'll just change that angle just just a little bit and just see if that works just a little bit better so it doesn't end up being like a new exercise it just ends up being a slight modification of maybe what what you might perceive as being the you know the, the, the kind of the og exercise so in ideal world, yeah, great. I want to I do a trap bar deadlift with everyone. I want a dumbbell press and I want to get everyone doing chin-ups or whatever. And, and that's that might be how I train myself because I can. But not everyone's going to be able to achieve that. Not everyone will be able to deadlift with a trap bar off the floor. You know, I might have to get two inches off the floor. Or for someone that wants bigger quads, that trap bar deadlift off the floor might be with your heels elevated as well to get more to get more quad dominance from it so my hip hinge pattern actually i'm still covering the hip hinge pattern but i'm getting more quadriceps out of that because quads are their weak point so as i said it's i'm a very very kind of meat and veg person when it comes to exercise selection and i want everyone to be doing those basic fundamental movement patterns and loading those heavy but sometimes the choices that we 
we commonly see to load those patterns aren't always going to suit those people that we have in front of us. We can't always be training, you know, elite level athletes and IFBB pros. Look, I, I have a few IFBB pros that I do train, a few online clients that are IFBB pros. I could throw anything at them and they will do it. <laughs> and they will send me form check videos and I'll look at their form check videos and there's not a lot I can do apart from sending them a thumbs up because I really can't critique them. <laughs> and then there are others that, you know, that can send me form check videos and I can give give them a long list of things to change or you know slight amendments that they might change so the brutal reality is we're not living in that ideal world where we can make everyone do quote unquote the best exercises because those quote unquote the best exercises aren't always going to fit that individual so we do need to have that that toolbox so we you know we've got lots of options when we have that person in front of us I think it's really important to recognize and you know we've used matthew as an example a lot but i think he's a very good one and when you're creating a lot of the innovative ideas and, and i do totally understand how when you need to create a solution for an individual client and then that leads to well actually this would be a really good thing to show the world right to show other trainers people do need to remember that guys like you and matthew who are um and i think megan calloway is another good example lee boyce is another example you guys start from very fundamentally skilled, understanding basic movement patterns. But like you said, always sharing those true basics isn't necessarily sexy or shareable on social media. Mm. You touch on it. But trainers want to recognize too that the fundamentals and the basics of most of our programming is still in the classic stuff. And then we modify the classic stuff when we come up against you know some sort of impediment uh, in movement injury issue that a client has and then sometimes we fall in love with it ourselves like i've been doing a ton of um you know you want to call them like hackneyed bulgarians squats or you know supported bulgarian squats luca which you've got me doing as well now by the way Mother <laughs> put up a video of him doing it. i gotta get him just a tiny little bit more range of motion but he was moving a lot of weight he was he did something really yeah. really good because he's a big boy um, but Luca Hosvar, they'll always call him supported. And Luca is like 204 pounds. And Luca, his latest video, he got me going because he was saying he wanted to hit three plates per leg. And I'm like, Jesus Christ, okay. And at that point, I only tried 275. And I'm a lot bigger than he is. Yeah. So what do you mean? I finally got up to 315 for five. And he's like, oh, yeah, no, I did 335 for five. I'm like, all right, fuck this. So I put up, <laughs> mother of God, this was heavy. Uh, and I get better range of motion. And I brag about this shit. I get better range of motion, especially because I'm 6'2", than anybody else I've seen doing it. I'm down there really, really deep with this. But I got 365 for three per leg, and that felt heavy. And people are watching that going, mother of God, what the hell? Because it's not as hard as it looks, the bloody hard. But you can actually move a significant amount of weight in this position. You're not really pushing as much as you think in that hole. It's really your leg power, but it's the stability that on one yeah. leg. If you're stable on one leg, you can move a shit ton of weight. But anyway, so a bit of fun, but I've actually been using that as my primary knee-dominant training modality. My right knee has always been a little bit cranky, and my left shoulder doesn't love low bar squatting anymore, which I love to do. So I've been doing this as my big, heavy strength training movement, and I've been loving how training's felt. I've also more recently been doing more single-leg Romanian work, where I just hated it before, and I've been getting a lot out of it after years and years and years of just straight barbell Romanian deadlift work. So... 
it, what, if we're going to make these modifications to our training, especially because I'm getting a little older, I'm 42 now, you know, and miles and miles and miles on the body of, of heavy training, then that's also going to be true of our clients. You know, we're working with 50, 60, you know, I got a couple 70 year old guys that I work with and everybody sees Larry on my, my Instagram. If you follow my Instagram and you see Larry, Larry's great. He just turned 70 and he's doing trap bar deadlifts with, I think we had like 368 or 379 on the bar for some reps recently. So everybody loves him. He's this adorable, you know, old man. But we do start from this place of fundamentals. And then as you get to know your clients more and more, you're going to figure out solutions. And sometimes they're going to be a bit innovative. Sometimes they're twists on classic. And there's very, there are very few feelings as a trainer that are better than showing a modification to a client that they go from, oh man, this always bothered me to, wow, like I'm not feeling any pain. One of my guys, uh, late forties, I trained his two sons or young athletes of mine. And I'm, you know, now training him and his wife as well. And so recently, like he likes classic bodybuilding stuff and he's doing the, the, you know, the military dumbbell press, elbows flared out super wide and you know, grinds on his shoulder. So as a coach, you and I understand that if you tuck your elbows a little bit to, you know, maybe it's 20 degrees or maybe it's even like a full 45 degrees, that really isn't changing the recruitment of the middle delt. We think, oh, it's all middle delt. It's why it's all bodybuilder magazine bullshit. No, the front yeah, delt yeah. heavily involved in that. Middle delts are in there. If you tuck your elbows a bit and your shoulders feel great, or even go true neutral grip, that doesn't shut off your middle delts. They're still in there. You're still getting all that training effect. And you're just not grinding up a joint. And that's half of this is not grinding up joints by doing it the one way we always see in the magazines. Exactly. It's about training efficiency at the end of the day, isn't it? You know, we, especially as we get older, then, you know, obviously things like sarcopenia and things like that set in where we're going to get muscle wastage. We're going to get, you know, we're going to get declines in peak power output. We're going to you know, move a lot slower. Our strength's going to naturally decline. So those are things obviously we, we want to deal with more as we get older, but we also want to be doing those things pain free. So absolutely battering yourselves when you're younger and, you know, when you're able to do that just to get somewhere. Well, actually, when you get a little bit older, that that's the stuff that's going to deteriorate that strength, that power that you might have achieved by doing or by using those methods. But now you're also in pain at the same time. So why not? You know, I think he's always said that prevention is, 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 is the better path. Why not just not do that in the first place? Why not just pick smarter exercises that are gonna not, re, you know, not have the wear and tear of you know some of the stuff that you think you should be doing, and are probably gonna get equal results. You know, you, you talk about a, a shoulder press, and we talk about um, you know when when you have that elbow flare and talk about kind of medial delt recruitment. Well, let's be honest, bringing it in, yeah, it might change some recruitment within that delt, but only by a fractional amount. It's the person arguing that, oh, yeah, you're getting less medial debt recruitment, you're recruiting your front doubts just a little bit more. It's that person that actually is going to end up at the end of the day with a cranky shoulder and, you know, 20 years down the line, no doubts because, you know, they can't train their doubts. <laughs> they, they can't even reach their hand overhead. But it's the guy that's been, you know, been using that modification with their elbow a little bit more forward, or maybe not even overhead pressing. Maybe they're just in laterals their entire life, you know, lateral raising the scapular plane of motion or something, and that was okay for them to build some delts. They're still doing those, you know, at 80 years old and, and you know, pain-free. So as I said, it's about exercise efficiency and choosing those exercises that can get the result that you want 
And, you know, that is a very, very specific result you need to be talking about. It needs to be in context. Um, but trying to get it pain-free, um, obviously with, with, within kind of a, a safe range of motion and not getting kind of the wear and tear that you might do with other exercises. I, just talking about myself for a second with, with my own training, I accepted five, six years ago, I can no longer deadlift off the floor. I cannot straight barbell deadlift off the floor. I need to, if I am using it, I have to use two inches off the floor at least. When I was 18, 19, I was in a high level rugby academy. I was pulling two and a half, you know, two and a half ish times body weight off the floor very consistently at a very young age. And then just suddenly one day my back went and it was just never the same since. And no matter whatever I've done, you know, whatever I've tried to do to kind of rehab it or, or, or whatever and strengthen it and I, I, you know i see a physical therapist once every month it's it's not the same so i cannot deadlift off the floor it has to be two inches or it just has to be a completely different exercise so for me that's an exercise i know if i'm going to do it i can't do it that frequently and i can't be stupid with it you know but there's obviously that meathead inside me that's oh we need to deadlift off the floor <laughs> I know as soon as I do, and trust me, I do sometimes, the neat head in me sometimes comes out, I know, you know, the next day it, it's going to wreak havoc. And then I'm not training, you know, any hip hinge for two weeks afterwards. So it screws me up. <laughs> I rarely dead off, off the floor anymore. I used to do it a lot and worked up to my big lift. For, for a guy my size, my tr like one rep max all times are not crazy impressive numbers. My best deadlift ever is a 585. My best bench press is a 335, right? Best squat. Five. You're tall, right, as well? I'm tall, but even still, like, these are not unbelievable numbers. I mean, walking around in the population, it's still stronger than 99% of other humans. But when it comes to like yeah. experienced trained people, especially anyone in, I'm not a competitive powerlifter, in that powerlifting realm, yeah, yeah. this is weak sauce shit. So I don't even worry about that. But you know, I, I enjoy seeing my own personal best where I can. Every once in a while, maybe like once a year, I'll do like several weeks of barbell deadlifting off the ground. I, I don't do it too badly. In fact, my, my form and structure is actually quite good with it. I just find it just beats me up and like leaves me really tired and fucks mm. up. But yeah, I'll go and I'll, you know, I'll pull 500 pounds, work up and like hit 500 pounds or something. I'm like, okay, I'm pretty good. And then every once in a while, I'll push a bit and push a bit and see if I can, you know, get close to my old maxes. But I'm, I'm, I have no interest in trying to set new personal bests. You get to a certain point where you don't really worry about chasing those personal bests on the, the on the big three anymore. Uh, it's just like, nah, can't do it anymore. I just, I just like training and I don't want my body to feel torn up. And as I've gotten older, yeah, there's a couple of things I mentioned. Knee's not too bad, but sometimes it gets cranky. The shoulder's definitely something goofy and I've been seeing a physiotherapist for it too. And it's helped a lot. So guys, if you have, you know, screwy injuries and lingering pain, seriously, go actually go find a really goddamn good physical therapist and get them to work with you. Honestly, it's going to save you a lot of headaches because if you get shut down because you can't train because you really screw up a joint, then that's where you really get set back. So, and then when it comes to your clients, again, same thing, right? Monitor what they're doing, find the right solution. So they're training pain free because you don't want to have a client you know, getting hurt and getting shut down for a long period of time, or just losing the client because you quote, got them hurt. It goes back to taking ownership and responsibility. Even if it's something that, you know, a client does something ridiculous outside of my view in, in a session on their own, I still feel responsible if they go and hurt themselves. Who's like, well, you know, what did I fail to do to communicate and ensure that they didn't make this mistake? 
And it doesn't mean, no, you're blaming yourself for like really dumb shit that's clearly not your fault. But if you start from a place of complete ownership of the entire process, that permeates everything you do and your efforts over the long run will prevent a lot of problems before they ever happen. And talk, talking about dumb shit, it, it, it's a really good analogy to kind of use, use CrossFit really as an example. Now, I think a few weeks ago, I saw some, I don't know who it was, or I won't point out names, it was a female CrossFitter, and she was doing kipping pull-ups, and she basically showed an image of her hands, her calluses had been ripped, her calluses had been ripped off, and there was blood everywhere, and it's kind of worn like a show of pride, like, look what I've done, you know, I've, I've trained so hard, but, you know, my, my hands have ripped apart. Well, okay, now you're not going to be doing that exercise for at least a few weeks, because you've just ripped your hands apart <laughs> so you know by doing that and by putting that effort in on that exercise and you know quite, quite achieving that you're actually now not able to do that same thing for, for weeks on end or at least you're not going to be able to do it without any pain and it's the same thing with, with any exercise whether you see that and it's a bloodied up hand or it's something that's going on in your spine in your knee whatever that hits you in in, in 10 years time you know, if, if you're if you're killing yourself right now with with exercises that aren't best suited to you, aren't you know, aren't aligned well, then you're going to know about it at some point, and it's going to it's going to take you out of action. So as I said, it comes back down to smart exercise selection. Hardcore badges of honor that people get caught up in, and CrossFit is terrible for this stuff. <laughs> Another interesting. Is, isn't isn't the other one peeing yourself? Fuck you, read my mind. Literally, that was what I was going to say, and. So I've got a couple of friends, um, Jessica Lacassure, who's a former client of mine and trainer herself, and she's doing really cool stuff. And then my friend Hannah Gray, who's been on the podcast before. So they both do a lot with pelvic floor health. And people all get kind of weird about pelvic floor health. And you, then you, you sort of mention how it's about women. Like, dudes, this stuff actually applies to you too. If you don't want to listen, okay, fine, tune up for a second. But when it comes to like women, you often will see glorification of like leaking or peeing on the platform when they do heavy lifts. And so my friend Jessica in particular, like she doesn't like seeing that glorification because it's sort of reinforcing something that actually doesn't need to happen. And so if you've got a client or you yourself have experienced anything like that, uh, you know, go follow my friend Jessica or my friend Hannah or both of them, reach out to them, talk to them, uh, or find a physiotherapist who specializes in this realm because there are people out there who have a lot of expertise in pelvic floor health. And you can actually do something about that instead of, because again, I think, what some women are doing is because some women can feel embarrassed about it and they think it's a really normal thing or it's going to absolutely happen. Then by kind of glorifying it, you diffuse the, the, the stigma or the, or the fear of doing it. And I get that, but there's an even better way to go about it and just actually, okay, let's, let's, let's actually learn about how you can actually prevent that from happening in the first place. So, you know, no one has to ever feel embarrassed about it. So complex issue, but you know, there's some answers in yeah. Absolutely. I think people need to accept that, you know, it, it shouldn't be happening. It, it is a problem. There is an issue there. And, and you know, it's, it shouldn't be shown as a, as a badge of honour, really. Um, it just kind of points out, points out a weakness that needs to be resolved. See, see the right person about it. Absolutely. So I don't know how much more time you got, but uh, I definitely want to make sure that, well, I haven't asked this question in a long time and I felt like bringing it back. Because I just, I absolutely love, I buy far more books than I can ever read in this pace that I read in them. Um, and I blast your audiobooks, but I really wanted to bring, bring back, you know, what are you reading? Have you read anything really great lately? Something that, you know, the audience might be interested in. 
Yeah, uh, I actually, it's, it, it's a bit of a classic now, I think, but on writing by Stephen King, and I'm sure you've read that. I have. It's, 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 a, it's a classic. Um, you know, if you're a writer and you haven't read on writing by Stephen King, then, you know, then, then you're massively missing out. And, and there's some stuff in there, um, you know, that, that you might disagree with, but it's an absolutely brilliant book. If you've never read anything by, by Stephen King, um, then, you know, this, this is kind of a good, a good first step into that and learning, actually. I think the first time I read it, I'm not a big Stephen King reader, but the first time I read it, I was like, fucking hell, he's a good writer. <laughs> Everything you're reading, you're just, cons- it's like he's talking to you, you're consuming it. So you, even just by reading the book, even if you're not necessarily learning from the content itself, you're just learning how to connect with that reader and how to, how to write efficiently. There are some things he says in there about writing, you know, having to write a thousand words every single day, et cetera, et cetera. Little things like that. Uh, and there's some personal stories and, and kind of you, you, it helps you connect with him. Um, I said, that's a really good one on writing. Um, on branding, uh, I just popped my phone up right now. There's Why a really good one. Why that I was going to say something about on writing. So with Stephen King, it is very much autobiographical. So if, if you're a fan of Stephen King mm. and a fan of writing in general, you actually learn a lot about his early writing process and how like dirt poor the guy was. He is, I mean, I think by my estimation, he may qualify as the second most successful author of all time, or at least he's top five. J.K. Rowling, I think pretty comfortably comes in number one with Harry Potter. But there's a reason why they're really successful and their books continue to, you know, be bestsellers. Uh, they're, they're very good at what they do and they definitely understand how to write to the end user in something that's appealing to them. Like the Harry Potter books are fantastic. If, I, I held off from reading them for a really long time. Then Jordan Sight was pushing me and pushing me to do it. And finally I did. And I, I audio binged them. And I think I got all seven done in the space of about two months. And uh, wow, like just, unbelievable culturally one of the most important things in you know in, in the last 20 years so you want to know about it and fuck your clientele a lot of them will love harry potter so it's just one more thing to talk about so you had one more on branding yeah i, I tend to always have at least three books on the go at the same time so i never kind of finish one <laughs> i never finish one and then move on to another and move on to another i always have at least three on the go at the same time so i always have a, a book on something to do with writing or just something I enjoy and I can really learn off their writing style. I'll then have something on maybe marketing or branding or something like that. Again, kind of business related. And then I will have the, you know, the, the industry stuff, the science, the, um, I don't know, the strength training, lifting book at the same time as well. <laughs> so I'll quickly breeze over <laughs> and it gives you a nice mix. It gives you a nice mix. Yeah, when, when I was in, you know, back kind of college days, it was all about the, the academic side of things and learning about exercises and biomechanics and exercise physiology and, and all that stuff. And I don't think up until I was maybe 21 had I ever picked up a marketing or branding book or anything. So I did not have a clue about what to, what to do. So nowadays I do make it a point of two thirds of the books that I'm reading are always kind of marketing, branding-esque or learning how to develop my, my skills as a writer and, and, and kind of communicator. So my branding book at the moment is by Donald Miller called Building a Story Brand. No, you don't. It's up here. Anyone who I believe is, you. Actually, or isn't seeing me on camera, 
Ah, fuck. I know it's here. But yeah, it's one of my favorites. Uh, I do have a physical copy of it. Just kind of bugging me. It's supposed to be in here. Luckily, I've got an audio book. I have it. <laughs> I'm shocked. But actually, as as an audio book, it's actually really good. He, um, I'm, I'm not always a big fan of audio books. Where sometimes the best book isn't always the best audio book. And for me, it's sometimes about the, the person that's actually reading it and whether I can kind of, kind of connect with that person that's reading the audio book. Um, and Build a Story Brand by Donald Miller is, is a really, really good one. And if, if you're anyone that's kind of struggling with know, even getting a good tagline for your business, then Build a Story Brand is, is, is a really good, good uh, listen or, or, or read. Um, it's kind of the stuff you probably wish you, wish you knew a few years ago. Um, it kind of gives you the gives you the ins and outs and the exactly what to do, as well as kind of everything else as well, really. Um, you can't listen but, to most training books on audio. Like the Dan no. stuff works because Dan stuff is more philosophical. But you know, training knowledge stuff. Like I just finished um, Mike Boyle's uh, advances in functional training. I mean, you you can't listen to that. You have to read that, and don't listen to books about writing. You need to see those on the pages. No. But almost <laughs> absolutely, you'd be surprised what you can uh, can consume quickly in audio because I find that I get through it fast. Just for you, I mean, the audience, I've been putting this stuff on my social media, but uh, Gareth, if you have not yet, Language of Coaching by Nick Winkleman, sweet mother. Oh, well, okay, yeah. This, this thing's fucking phenomenal. It's actually changing a lot of stuff. You know, it's a lot of the research and evidence behind uh, different types of cueing. The early section is very neuroscience heavy. It's a, it's a bit of a tough read, but then once you get into all the other stuff, uh, external versus internal cues, hint, external cues really, really, you know, scientifically backed as being better. Uh, your classic yeah. cock up. <laughs> I think that- Cock up, yeah. <laughs> that's sort of an internal cue, oddly enough, but once you get into that, you'll see. And then the writing book I'm reading right now, I don't know if you've read Bird by Bird by Anne Lamott. Okay, no. Really good stuff. Um, I like those. Okay. Um, another one is um, Pity the Reader by Kurt Vonnegut. Same sort of thing, like book on writing well, Zinzer is the classic, and that's where everybody should start. And that's just a, a, a yeah. really accessible, but a very technical book on writing. Okay, go read that. But then once you get into books like Stephen King's uh, on writing, Animal Bird by Bird is very similar, where it's like a lot of stories, a lot of illustrations, a lot of examples, plus their own life and experience blended in together. So it's a really enjoyable read. Either way, I'm actually recommending to you directly those two books because I think you'd love them. Perfect. Yeah, next ones. I'll, um, yeah, at the moment, my kind of fitness nutrition book, I'm actually struggling that front because I don't know, I think I, I think we spoke kind of uh, previously. I've actually got a, um, a book deal with Human Kinetics. And so at the moment, yeah, so at the moment, I'm trying to meet deadlines for, for chapters on that. <laughs> and basically the, the books on, I, I won't kind of ruin it because I don't know how much I can say but the books on abdominal training mm -hmm. so I kind of got my head in all the research papers about spinal loading and abdominal exercises etc etc so my kind of book time that would normally be spent reading about exercises and biomechanics and physiology and whatever is actually spent more kind of in those research papers which you know i haven't delved that much into since i think i did a my master's dissertation 10 years ago so you know i'm kind of delving in that side of things a little bit more and that takes up a lot of time as well um so that's kind of you know the the the, the writing of that book 
in a way is taking up my you know my time that i would otherwise spend kind of reading that type of book myself there goes that article i wrote in the fall that got a lot of share and i put up on social media i just put up a post i think it was yesterday a couple days ago about this it's not getting caught up in consumption of content to procrastinate from creating content and we do that it soothes that that discomfort with you know the fact that we're not doing something so therefore if we're reading and it's important to recognize this when you're reading a lot you feel like you're being really productive but you may be reading and consuming to avoid the difficulty of putting pen to paper metaphorically or literally uh, Stephen Pressfield's book uh, the war of art is a really good way of breaking through what he calls the resistance we need, oh, I guess the other thing I was going to mention too is, uh, you know, give a shout out to your, because you sent it to me to check out the, uh, the glutes and uh, hamstrings training um, book that you wrote. Oh, yeah. That was really good. That's yeah. Full of brilliant stuff. Honestly, trainers, um, I really would recommend you guys check this stuff out because it's going to give you a lot of tools in your toolbox to apply to your clients. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. The glutes and hamstrings guy. That, that's a really good example of actually what we were speaking about at the beginning of, of the podcast and kind of reaching out to people to, to ask them for something in return, really. So I obviously wrote the glutes and hamstrings guide as, as kind of a, a, just a toolbox of glutes and hamstrings exercises that, that you can use. And I think the easiest way to put, put it and to explain it, because more people have bought, obviously clearly bought Brett Contreras's glutes book that came out at the same time. <laughs> it, it's not the same it complements that in that he kind of goes into the weeds about kind of a um, little bit more biomechanics, et cetera. It's a really, really, really thorough book. My one in a way is very much about the exercises and actually, okay, what actually makes this exercise good? So it's basically just, you know, 88 exercises and exactly what makes it good, what makes it bad, a little bit of mechanics about each exercise rather than kind of, you know, the, the, the grand scheme of, you know, how to build an effective, you know, a, a big backside or whatever. But as I was just saying, once I wrote that and kind of put it out there, I wanted to get some reviews from professionals that I respected. So instead of just randomly messaging people that I was not connected with, and, you know, I, I, yet I respected, I connected with people, I messaged people, you know, or emailed people that I already had that relationship with, you know, the likes of, um, Nick Tominello, for example, we'd already had some communication, um, you know, and, and, and various other people that I already had that communication with and basically said to them, look, would you mind how you look through this? If you feel like it, give me a review. I just want an honest review. And let me know what you think. Or if next time, you know, you would do it slightly differently or, or, or change it up. Um, and I, luckily, all reviews were, were fantastic. The best review I got, actually, or best kind of personal opinion I got off someone was um, was from Jim Smith, as in Smitty Diesel from Diesel Crew. He basically said to me, because he's someone that's, that's done loads and loads of training guides in the past, and yeah, he was writing for T-Nation with Joe DeFranco 10, 15 years ago or something. And he was someone that said, look, you know, it, it's a fantastic book. Absolutely love it. But I would add this and add this and add this and add this. And he was someone that, you know, put it across to me in a way that was like, shit, yeah, I should have added that. I should have added that. But having someone like that to, you know, of his level and experience of putting out guides like that 
actually helps me now because I can now improve that book if I want to. I can now put, you know, add-ons and bolt-ons to, to that book. He's one of his recommendations. Yeah, one of, one of his recommendations was, okay, why don't you do programs and make it into an, an you know, an actual um, a 12-week button glutes and hamstrings program at the end of it, you know, for, for different people, which means logistically from a, from a business point of view, you can charge double for it because it's a transformation program, <laughs> which was a great idea. But obviously that wasn't my, my you know, my mindset from, from, from the off was to, to, to create a program. It was just to kind of create the, the, the information of, on the exercises. But as I said, just going back to the point, I reached out to people that I already had some communication with and they gave me some honest reviews and their reviews helped me to promote that book as well. You know, and I sent it to people like yourself and, and you, because you have connections, you, you, you know, you sent it to, 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 so he, you know, it's, it's one of those things, isn't it? Um, you know, about building kind of industry relationships that are a, a win-win situation for, for, for both parties, really. You've got to benefit each other. Yeah. And, you know, you get to that point and cool stuff starts happening. Like you mentioned Nick Tuminello, when Nick was uh, rolling out his practical program uh, mastery uh, seminar, he sent me that i mean that's a that's a whole course there he sent that to me for free he's like hey you know do you want to check this thing out and you know i gave him a review on it. actually i thought it was a great resource especially for for new trainers coming in oh sweet jesus that's going to send you light years ahead so yeah so you know if your ambition you know listening to this is to develop these kind of relationships look around at who is around you and who is working really hard and who is doing things support the hell out of those people engage with them and then if you see someone, you know, at a level, maybe like say a quote, you know, in terms of rungs, someone who's a rung above you, who is working hard, is building something, you know, connect and share their stuff, connect the hell, you know, out of that, however you can, but offer value to them instead of asking for stuff for, from them. And the stronger that connection gets, then who knows what can kind of spring from that. So I guess we should remind people where to find you. I, I think a lot of people are going to find this either longtime listeners or maybe someone new is coming off with your social media. I'll come back to that in a second. But if Gareth is new to you, well, everything is the fitness maverick on all your social media, right? Especially Instagram. You're really active. Yeah, I, I suppose my, my, my biggest social media platform is Instagram, which is at the fitness maverick. And then as well as play, play, you know, places like uh, tnation.com, muscle strength, muscle fitness, and so on. Um, I do also put up website. Uh, articles on my own website um, and there's some stuff about me on my own website you can get the glutes and hamstrings guide online coaching links etc and that's thefitnessmaverick.com you'll also see recently there's plenty of pictures of me topless if you're just into that kind of thing <laughs> girls and if you yeah. want a little bit you know to kind of keep, keep your uh, keep your evening a bit more interesting <laughs> yeah and you just so happen to be someone who is finding uh, my work for the first time the podcast well, again, um, it's rebranded, so we have 150 episodes with me and Dean that talked it. The who's who of the industry, Martin Rooney, John Berardi, you know, on down the list. Uh, you know, we've said a few names like Nick Tuminello, Lee, Lee Boyce, and Christian Thibodeau. They've all been on there. Um, and more recently, you know, with the, with the solo podcast, this is something I'll be going weekly, ongoing into the future. Hopefully, you really enjoy the last episode. It's not out as of time recording, but by the time you guys hear it, it will be. I have had Jordan Side on. We've recently had Mike Isertel, Jonathan Goodman, Sohi Lee, and Matthew Ibrahim. And I've got a whole bunch of really cool stuff coming up. So I hope that you'll check that out. And if you're not following me on social media, I actually would love to hear from you guys. So follow me at Andrew Coates Fitness and, uh, and shoot me a message. 
And thanks for tuning in and listening. And Gareth, thanks so much for coming on. I'll hang out for a second at the end here and I'll